Well, I am really thankful to get to share God's Word with you tonight. I learned uh, this week in preparation that Trinity Sunday, which is today, um, is sort of like a hazing day where uh, priests all around the country apparently find the most recently ordained individual and then ask him or her to stand up and explain the mystery of God, Father, Son, Spirit, one person, uh, one substance, three persons. I, I jokingly said earlier, you know, our good friend Justin has a book um, called uh, know, know the Heretics. It's like, hey, if you know the heretics, you won't repeat their heresies. I, I told them my goal tonight is to not make it and know the heretics too in talking about the Trinity. Um, no, I'm, I'm really delighted to be here, and um, I just wanted to say I am thrilled to have each of you here. We, we are thrilled to have you here. To see this service grow a little bit each month has been um, just incredible and really fun, and so welcome uh, from, from my heart to yours. For the past year or two, much to my wife Mindy's dismay, I've been collecting icons, icons just like this. I say to her dismay, uh, not because she's not a Christian, but because she doesn't, you know, Rublev's colors on the icon don't always go with Pinterest green and blue. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I think I love icons for a lot of different reasons. Um, they're, of course, beautiful. They're a way of prayer. Um, anyways, I've been collecting them, and, you know, icons are, are scenes of Jesus' life, or maybe pictures of Christ, pictures of the Blessed Virgin Mary, um, and they're, they're talked about as windows into heaven, windows into heaven. Uh, actually, I, so I brought that with me, but we have an icon printed on the front of your bulletin for this extended season after Pentecost, which begins today. And it's the same icon. It's Rublev's icon of the Holy Trinity. Um, I want you to keep that image close by throughout this talk. I think Rublev's work here, without overstating it, it gives us a brilliant, if not a corrective, picture of the Trinity. Let me, let me say what I mean by that. Because God, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He's not a puzzle to be solved, but a reality to be worshipped. He's not a puzzle to be solved, but a reality to be worshipped. Put it a different way, God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one substance is not a math equation, not even a riddle. That would be a cruel riddle, right? He is a life-changing mystery that you and I and all of humanity live into. He is a mystery that we live into. I think Rublev catches this in his image. Um, it's called the Holy Trinity, but you'll sometimes find it, if you were to, to do a Google search, it's some, you'll sometimes find it called the three visitors, the three visitors. You can see the three, three, three people in the, in, the, in the icon. And it's called the three visitors sometimes because it's initially a story from Genesis 18 about these three divine, mysterious creatures that visit Abraham. You might remember that story. It's, we won't go into it tonight, all right? But what you need to know is this. For centuries, Christians have interpreted that story from Genesis 18 
as an instance of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, in other words, the Trinity. Um, there is so much symbolism and meaning in this work. For instance, check out the image. It's often thought that the figure on the left, as you're looking at it, represents God the Father, who owns the little house pictured above him. Can you see the house? And then the figure opposite him, it is thought, is the Holy Spirit, clothed in blue and green, colors of heaven and earth, above whose head is a little hill. You can barely see it. The hill of divine ascent by which we are led to God through the Spirit. And then, facing us head on, which is very appropriate, right? Facing us head on, uh, we can see this figure entirely as the face of God. This is thought to be Jesus Christ, dressed in blue and brown, representing His divinity and His incarnation. And above Christ, of course, wouldn't you know it, is a tree, the tree of the cross, the tree of life, beautiful. Now, do you notice what they're doing together? They're seated together, right? Seated at a table of sorts. And do you see what's in the center of the table? It's a chalice. So, long story short, here's what we've, we've, and we could go on. We won't though, okay? We won't. But in what we've observed so far, Father, Son, Holy Spirit seated together at a table having a meal. Now, one other thing I want you to notice, because whether this was an accident or um, intentionally planned by Andre Rublev, as many believe, which I, I think that it was, this is where I want to settle tonight as we discuss the Trinity. There is at the table, as you look at this image, an opening in the circle. There is an open seat. Do you see it from your vantage point? It's, it's as though God Himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, is inviting us to sit down with Him at the table. A breathtakingly powerful image of our Christian life. Some theologians talk about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit as the life of God. The life of God. I love that. God the Father's person interacting with God the Son's person interacting together with the Holy Spirit's person, three persons, one essence. And in this life of God, what in the world goes on? I mean, what does the Father and the Son and the Spirit, what do they do together? The Scriptures tell us a little bit. Um, the, the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. They are completely unified um, just as the Creator Father sent the Redeemer Son to rescue us, so the Son willingly sends the sustaining Spirit to empower us to be the body of Christ. That's a little bit of what they do. But let me summarize it for us. In our terms tonight, you could say this, there really is a sense in which we may talk about our whole Christian life as entering into the very life of God. All the stuff we just described, the love, the unity, entering into the life of God. This is why, is it not at baptism, the priest says, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I mean, from the very beginning, right out of the gate, the entrance into the Christian life, 
we begin entering into the mystery of the Trinity. There it is. So, let me ask you this. What is your response to Rublev's invitation as you see that open seat to mix majesty with intimacy? I mean, how does that make you feel as you stare at that image? You know, if our Scripture passages today are any indication, and I'm glad that Judy read all three, or all two, the common human response, just looking at our Scripture passages from Isaiah, Romans, John, our human response is utter terror, uh, fear, confusion. Each of the passages we read a moment ago speak of humans encountering this Trinitarian God in, in one glorious way or another. So, for example, in Isaiah, the glory of the thrice holy God literally scares the prophet to death. I mean, can you imagine the scene of his encounter with God? Just the hem of God's robe filled the temple. And then Isaiah says this, seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings, two they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, with two they flew. I mean, that's freaky enough, right? And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Appropriate response. Here it comes. Isaiah says, woe is me. I am lost. The psalm, the psalm wasn't much different as we chanted it. The psalmist's depiction of God is power, power everywhere. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters, the psalmist said. The God of glory thunders. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedar trees, splits the flames of fire, and shakes the wilderness. That's, that would make me afraid. And then in John's gospel, Jesus tells Nicodemus that an encounter with God will mean nothing less than a miraculous rebirth by God's Holy Spirit, uh, something which obviously seems not just impossible, but a little bit insane, which is why Nicodemus says, what does that even mean? Like, I can't get back into my mother's womb. Um, I love that exchange. Between, there's, some, there's some real good conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus in that. So everywhere, everywhere in these passages for Trinity Sunday, we are told that encountering God is a majestic, awe-filled experience, something more ferocious than nature's wildest thunderstorms. Encountering God evokes worship and reverence. Indeed, encountering God is supernatural and miraculous. Only His Spirit can make it possible. And yet, in Romans, it's like our eyes and our hearts are playing tricks on us because Paul says we can approach this majestic God not as slaves, but as children. Remember these words, Paul says, you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. 
You know, I wonder if you've ever heard or maybe you remember the story of a young man from the Old Testament named Mephibosheth. Try saying that five times quickly. Mephibosheth from the Old Testament. Um, I'd like to share it with you and sort of using a paraphrase of author Eugene Peterson's version of this story. This is from the ninth chapter of the book of 2 Samuel. And as you hear the story, consider the hospitality of God pictured in front of you with the icon of the Holy Trinity. All right? It's the story of Mephibosheth. One day King David asked, is there anyone left in Saul's family? If so, I'd like to show him some kindness in honor of Jonathan. Remember, Jonathan and David were best buds, but Jonathan's father, Saul, and David were really big enemies. And the reply came to King David, yes, there's Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. He is lame in both feet. King David didn't lose a minute. He sent and got Mephibosheth from his home. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, who was the son of Saul, came before David, he bowed deeply, abasing himself, honoring the king. David spoke his name, Mephibosheth. Yes, sir. Don't be frightened, said David. I'd like to do something special for you in memory of your father, Jonathan. To begin with, I'm returning to you all the properties of your grandfather, Saul. Furthermore, from now on, you'll take all your meals at my table. Shuffling and stammering, not looking him in the eye, Mephibosheth said, Who am I that you pay attention to a stray dog like me? David then called Saul's right-hand man and told him, everything that belonged to Saul and his family, I've handed over to Mephibosheth. You and your sons and your servants will work his land for him and bring in the produce, all provisions for him. Mephibosheth himself from now on will take all his meals at my table. And the narrator repeats this like three or four times, like a refrain. And Mephibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the royal family. And again, just so we get the point, listen to how the story ends. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, taking all his meals at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. I don't know about you, but when I consider the majesty of my Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, God the Trinity, my thought is, who am I that you would pay attention to a stray dog like me? Like Mephibosheth, I am broken and poor. I am stranded in a faraway land, alienated from the good life, afraid that if King David found me, he would kill me because I belong to the family of Saul, his enemy. Like Mephibosheth, I am lame in both feet. I am paralyzed by my sin and brokenness. I simply don't belong at the royal table. But you know what Andre Rublev would say? Sit down. Here's your seat. 
here's your cup. Come sit down with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You're not a slave, you're a child. This is, I think, the meaning of that beautiful little chalice in the center of the table. You can see Jesus holding his hands out and blessing over the cup as if to say, in the words of King David, don't be frightened. From now on, you'll take all your meals at my table. Brother and sister, in Jesus Christ, we who once were slaves, Paul says, have been made children of God, participants in the very life of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You may feel unclean like Isaiah, You may feel overwhelmed when you hear how big and strong God is from Psalm 29. You may feel confused like Nicodemus in John 3, but tonight the good news of the gospel is that you and I have been invited to sit down at the table with God, sharing in His eternal joy, love, unity, sharing in the life of God. So let us therefore in these next few moments, sit down at the table, even though like Mephibosheth, we are broken in a thousand different ways and feed upon Christ in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving, believing anew that old adage that our parents used to tell us when we were little kids, that you become what you eat. You become what you eat. Let's pray. Majestic, holy, eternal, righteous God, we are thrilled to be here tonight at your table. And we just say thank you. Thank you for your glory and thank you for your grace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.